First impressions are not always right. We as humans seem to be very capable of making quick and wrong assumptions and assessments of people or even of things. And when that happens, it typically makes for a good story. There's many examples that I can think of. Uh, so if you look at the story of the Lord of the Rings, everyone underrates the resilience and the ability of the hobbits. These little guys, they turn out to be awesome. If you go, kids, to the movie Frozen, I know not all of you, if you're boys, you probably don't like that, but if you're girls, you like Frozen, right? And, and there's the story of Anna, Princess Anna, who thinks that Prince Hans is this wonderful guy, he's awesome, and at the same time, when she first meets Kristoff, she thinks he's a weird guy. But she gets everything backwards, she gets everything wrong. It actually reminds me of another story, Pride and Prejudice, which is a story of Elizabeth Bennet. And Elizabeth Bennet in this story thinks that Mr. Wickham is the most amiable of all characters and that Mr. Darcy is incredibly repulsive. She gets it all wrong. These are just a few reminders of how our initial perceptions can be wrong. And today I want for us to think about and to talk about a word that when we think of it quickly or just give a, a glancing thought to it, we can think of it wrongly. That word is joy. When we hear the word joy, we often think with a quick thought that it means feelings of happiness or, or bursts of laughter, being completely carefree. But is that all that joy is? Because by those defining qualities, joy must be rather giddy, whimsical, and even fleeting. That picture of joy doesn't actually really line up with the words that God seems to have given us about joy. I'll give you a couple of examples. If you were to turn to James in the Bible, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Trials is when we're meant to find joy. If you go to Hebrews 12, there's something similar going on there. In verse 2, it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, as in Jesus is the one who gives us our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy before him endured the cross. So there's this pairing of joy and suffering that just doesn't make much sense. So what is joy in a, in a whole and true sense? This is probably something that we should know or think about because we're told in the Bible that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Now, don't get confused by that language there, especially if you're not familiar with Christianity or haven't had much time around the Bible. When it says fruit of the Spirit, it means byproduct of Jesus coming into your life and changing you, changing your heart. There should be a byproducts from that. And that is, it says in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, that the fruit of the Spirit, the byproducts of Jesus, are love, joy. It's the second one on the list. Peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are the things listed out. We're meant to have joy. If you go over to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, we're instructed there to have joy. It says, rejoice, as in be full of joy in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. Now, if you're anything like me, the thought of trying to continually manufacture happiness, if that's what joy is, just this whimsical feeling, that thought of trying to manufacture that all the time is utterly exhausting. 
It's an overwhelming thought to, to try and, and manufacture that. When we start to slip into a misinformed image of joy, that's what we can think that we have to do. We can wrongly think that the Christian life is plastering a smile onto our face, about going about life pretending that everything is not just fine, but good. Yes, I'm good. Please do not ascribe to that view of Christianity. And don't settle for thinking that that is biblical joy. Now, perhaps I'm talking a little bit in circles here. And maybe it'd be helpful for me to clarify some, some ways that we're talking about joy already. Where We seem to be talking about two ways that we can view joy. There's worldly joy, and then there is Christian joy. Worldly bo- joy being joy that is, uh, for the majority of the culture around us, the world around us, as it defines joy. And then there's Christian joy, which is joy as God defines it. Worldly joy, as we've already said, is this kind of fleeting feeling, whereas Christian joy is this lasting, refreshing fountain. It's something that can be had in all seasons of life. Christian joy can be had in the midst of suffering. Christian joy can be had in the midst of hardship. How so? Well, I'm going to invite you to turn with me in a Bible to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. So not John, but 1 John. It's further on in the Bible, right near the end of the Bible. And so I'm turning there to 1 John, chapter 1, and I'm going to read from verse 1. And as we read this, I would encourage you that when we read these first few words, you're going to see that it's really big, lofty language that's being used. And it may be helpful for us to know that when it's using these terms, it's actually talking about Jesus. Okay, so just know that when we're reading this, it's talking about Jesus. So 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 says, That which was from the beginning, it's talking about Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Now, there's a lot of, like I said, lofty language here. But what it's describing here is the first advent. It's describing the arrival of Jesus into the world. The big words are used to help us see the magnitude of this moment. To understand that Jesus' arrival was a big deal because it's reminding us that the eternal God, remember it said, he that was from the beginning, Jesus, the eternal God, the creator of all things, he came and was made manifest amongst us. He, be, he came in the flesh. He became visible. The God who was invisible, Yahweh, came and was visible amongst us. And this is John, one of Jesus' disciples, writing and saying he not only became visible, he was hearable and he was even touchable. God was touchable. It was incredible. And and we're witnesses. We Christians are witnesses of that fact. Now let's read on and see what happens next. It says in verse 3, That which we have seen and heard, that is Jesus' coming and the salvation that he offered, We proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. As in, we can all be a part of God's family now. That you can be a part of God's family and we can be a part of God's family. 
And indeed, it goes on, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Listen to verse 4. And we are writing these things, all of this th- these things, that Jesus came, that we can be right with God and be a part of God's family. We're writing all of this so that what? Our, or some translations, your, it just means all of us, our joy may be complete. Joy, fullness of joy, completeness of joy is found in Jesus. We don't sing the song joy to the world this time of year without reason. There's good reason. Jesus was God manifest. He was God in the flesh and he came and he became the great source of joy for us. We could put it this way. He is the spring of true joy who is given to quench the world that is parched by temporary joys. John chapter 7, Jesus, when he was older than just a baby, he stands up in the middle of Jerusalem, in the middle of a festival and says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. What Jesus was talking about was the satisfaction, the joy that was found in him. Now, it may, may just sound sweet for me to s- sit here today and say, okay, joy, true joy is found in Jesus. And you may be thinking, okay, but, but how? Like specifically, how? And so I want to point out three thoughts on how Jesus is the giver, the bringer of joy in our lives. Now, there are many more things that we could pick on than just three, and none of these I'm going to do justice. We could talk about them further. But the first of those is this. Jesus is joy because he is the proof that God hadn't given up on his creation. Let's not fool ourselves into thinking that Jesus was obligated to come into our world. No. He had, God had every right to either destroy his creation when we rejected him, when we sinned and turned against him in the Garden of Eden, Or to just, he he could have destroyed us or just left us alone. And yet he chose to engage. He chose to come. Just the arrival of Jesus is a source of joy for us. Now, in a much scaled down way, let me give you an illustration of this. A number of years ago, back in 2008, I, I had news from the church I was working at at the time that they sensed the call of ministry um, on my life and they wanted to have a service, an ordination service, where they just wanted to pray for me and and commission me into that. Now, when I got news of this, I I called up my dad who was living in Australia. I was in the US, in Texas, and dad was in Australia. I called him up and let him know what was going on. Now, what was really cool was over the next few days, my dad scrambled and organized to come at expense, you know, to to come last minute to be there, to be a part of that service just a few weeks later in Texas. He flew all that way. Now, he wasn't obligated to come, and yet in love, he chose to to come. And when he came, it was a great source of joy to have him there. Now, scale that illustration back up and to think about the fact that we can find joy, all of us, in the thought that God hasn't forgotten us, that he sent Jesus to come into our world, into our mess. The second thing that I point out to you is that Jesus is a source of joy because he is the one who provides a way and the only way for us to be right with God. 
You see, that baby that we celebrate this time of year came with a primary purpose. And we often forget that when we look at a nativity scene, we forget that that baby came to die. And not just to die, to die a death, a brutal death, at the hands of his own creation. That baby was the creator. It's absurd. It's, it's crazy to think about. To put it another way, the absurdity of that whole story, of the advent, is a source of joy for us. Because we know that baby didn't just come. That baby came to die to rescue and to redeem a world, to reconcile us, to make us right with God. You see, that death of Jesus wasn't just some weird, meaningless death. No, that was an, the way that God allowed for us to be right with God. It's through Jesus' shed blood and that alone that we are able to be made right in relationship with God again. And so I've, I, I would just encourage you that we can find joy in the thought that Jesus didn't just come into the world, but he came into the world to save the world. The third thing I'd point out to you is that Jesus is a source of joy because he is coming back a second time. And he's coming back with the purpose of destroying all the things that steal our joy in this life. Jesus is the ultimate and perfect source of joy because one day he will deliver us and he's going to deliver on his promise to eradicate all the things that steal our joy in this life. I don't have to remind you of what these things are. It's the phone call, right? Where you get that phone call from somebody you love who tells you, hey, I've got news from the doctor. It's not good. It's the, it's the message, the email that comes into your inbox saying, hey, we no longer need you here. You're being terminated. Or it's the, it's the door that slams behind somebody you love walking out who, who doesn't plan to come back again. These are all the things that steal our joy in this life. But we can find joy in the, in the thought that Jesus didn't just come. He didn't just save, but his promise to come back again. And when he does, he's going to right every wrong. He's going to correct every injustice. And as we think on that reality... It produces in us joy. So in multiple ways, Jesus provides us with joy. But I can almost hear you guys uh, asking the question as I'm sitting here, is it possible to live with this Jesus joy you're describing, Harley, in the real world? And if so, what does that even look like? Well, I'd like to point out to you, one of my heroes, a man who lived in Bristol in the 1800s. His name is George Muller, and he's famous for his reliance on God with his extensive work with orphans. Now, I'm not just bringing him to your attention because he was a perfect man. He wasn't. No one's perfect except for Jesus. But I am personally inspired by him because of his love for God, his humility, and his joy. One of my favorite all-time quotes from anyone is from this guy, George Muller. And he says this, The first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. Now, maybe Mr. Muller would allow us to adopt this saying and, and maybe just change it slightly for our purposes today to say something like this, The first and great business, primary business, to which we ought to attend to, we better take care of every day, is to have our souls joyful in the Lord. 
The reason I point out George Muller to you is because his life was one that was riddled with challenges, disappointments, and hardships. He made this statement of the importance of finding joy, of happiness in Jesus, contentment in Jesus, in the midst of a life that was very challenging. I could tell you story after story of his challenges, but I'll just point out one in particular. There was a time in which his much-loved wife of 39 years passed away. And he was heartbroken, but he, he said these words. Let me quote him. He said, I bow. I am satisfied with the will of my heavenly Father. I seek by perfect submission to his holy will to glorify him. I kiss continually the hand that has thus afflicted me. George Muller was a man who knew hardship and yet knew that God ultimately was working for his good and found joy and peace and contentment and hope in that Savior. For George Muller, Christian joy was not dependent upon his circumstances. Joy and happiness was possible in whatever circumstance because it was rooted in that which was immovable, Jesus Christ. So he could genuinely say, like the much-quoted Bible verse from Nehemiah 8, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Is the joy of the Lord your strength? What about those of you who are sitting there thinking, well, what if I don't feel joy? If that's you, I think there's an obvious follow-up question to that, and that is, do you know, and when I say no, I mean truly know, Jesus. Is He your Savior? Has he, has he made you right with God? Have you had that moment when you've said, God, my life is yours, no longer mine, I need you. Are you eagerly looking forward to His return? Because if you're not answering yes to these questions, that's the place you need to start if you're looking for joy. A changed relationship. Many of us would testify that a changed relationship with God cannot help but be accompanied by the richest of joys. When you say, God, no longer me, but you, I give you my life. When you make that decision, when you have that moment, joy will flood your, your soul. I promise you, it is the greatest and most magnificent of feelings. So don't delay. If that's you, if you don't know this Jesus, come to Him today. Cry out to Him. But what about those of you who would say, I actually believe in Jesus, but I'm struggling to feel joy right now. If that's you, I I do say this gently. I, I am sorry that that's the space you find yourself. And if I could, I'd like to just gently take you by the hand and lead you back to some of the things we've discussed. Jesus is our, and I say our because if you do believe in Jesus, and if you truly know him, you're my brother or sister in Christ. He is our fountain of joy because, like we said, he came, he saved, and he is coming again. And so come and drink with me these truths 
and may they become for you and for me a source of joy. May they continue to be for us a source of joy. I'm not asking for you to pretend today that everything is okay. But what I am challenging you to do is to drink from these truths. Because I believe that as you come to this thought that yes, Jesus came for me. Yes, Jesus has saved me. Yes, Jesus is coming again. As you drink in these realities, that perspective will come. And joy will, perhaps gradually, or maybe like a flood, come rushing back into you. Maybe it won't be a rush. Maybe it will be gradually. But either way, drink in these truths. Drink in these realities. Preach these truths to yourself. The writer of Psalms 42 and 43 is having a struggle like this one we're articulating here. And so the writer repeats a phrase. The phrase goes like this. Why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. What's the psalmist doing here? Well, they're identifying their problem, saying, yeah, I'm struggling here. But why, why am I? I need to hope in God. I need to look to God. I need to find jo- God is my source, my joy. And so like this psalmist, I encourage you, preach the reality of the fact that Jesus has come, that he has saved, and that he is coming for you again. We are all designed, all of us, to seek joy. I haven't met a person in this life who is not looking for joy. Now, people look, at, look for joy in a variety of ways. Please don't look for joy in the dry well of worldly joy. Rather, come to Jesus and drink in the contentment-bringing joy that He and He alone offers. Let us attend each day to the priority of finding our souls joyful, happy, content in the Lord. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that when we sing the words to the song, Joy to the World, that that is a real, true, lasting and rich joy. God, we do confess that at times we drink from the dry well of of worldly joy. But God, today we want to come to you and we want to find joy in you. Would you help us to do that? God, I pray in particular for those who are struggling and don't feel joyful right now. Lord, would you help them to find their souls happy in you no matter what their circumstances even today? Even in the midst of hardship, Lord, may they find joy in the fact that you came, that you saved, and that you are coming again. We thank you, God, that you are the source of joy. And even right now, as we consider how we respond, we look to you. Thank you, God. Amen.